0: Frieden. This is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santopadre, and we're once again recording at Nutmeg. Post with our engineer Frank Ferderosa. Our guest this week is an actor, comedian, television personality, author, humorist, and storyteller who's appeared in hit Broadway shows, including Will Success Spoil Rock Hunter, successful movies like Anatomy of a Murder, Inner Space, and Bing John Malkovich, as well as numerous television shows including The Ed Sullivan Show, The Twilight Zone, Naked City, The Love Boat, Ally McBeal, Will and Grace, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, Two and a Half Men, Desperate Housewives, and Modern Family. He's made over 200 appearances on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and was a frequent panelist and celebrity contestant on dozens of game shows, including To Tell the Truth, What's My Line, I've Got a Secret, Stump the Stars, Match Game, Password, and the $10,000 pyramid, just to name a few. In a long distinguished career, he's worked with everyone from Boris Karloff and Peter Laurie to Walter Matthau to Art Carney to John Cusack to Sarah Silverman. You want more? He's also a best-selling author of three books and a direct descendant of former president Calvin Coolidge. Please welcome to the show a fixture of my childhood and Frank's and one of showbiz's greatest raconteurs, Orson Bean.
1: Holy horse pussy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: I can hardly wait to hear myself.
0: <laughs> uh... Okay. Okay. Now, to to start off, and the main reason, I think the only reason we wanted you on the show, is to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> you, you had, we, we spoke to one of your old pals, Dick Van Dyke. Yes. And he, he, he re- Dick Van Dyke revealed that you and he would go to the zoo together a lot.
1: You know, I did a one-man show recently. Dick Van Dyke came to it. He says, do you remember we used to go to the zoo a lot? I said, Dick, I have no memory of going to the zoo ever, (coughs) much less a lot, with you. And now he's telling other people that we went to the zoo.
0: (laughs) Well, according to Dick Van Dyke, he says that the two of you were inseparable of course you would go to the zoo every day and you would go to the
1: monkey cage <laughs> Stop you making th- me horny uh,
0: And uh, do you do you know do you remember anything about a monkey because Dick Van Dyke said that you and he would visit the, the zoo every day and watch a monkey who would jerk off in his
1: cage? All monkeys jerk off. You don't understand that. Dick thought he was seeing something special. You have a so, monkey, the monkey's going to jerk off and come on you. You can't, uh, uh, mo- that's what monkeys do. I kept trying so th- to tell Dick. I said, then monkeys, oh, no, look, he's jerking. I said, I know. So this proves Darwin's theory once and for all. <laughs>
0: And and uh, I I think of all great legendary comedy teams. Yes, I Smith think and the Dale. one that everyone wants to know about is Low, Height, and Stanley.
1: Lowe was a dwarf, <laughs> Height was a giant, and they every time I worked with them, they had a different Stanley. They said, "Fuck him! We ain't paying him a hundred bucks a week. We don't want to pay nothing for a normal size guy." <laughs> They Was they, that a- they did a comedy knockabout act which ended with Heights uh, uh, Giant. thumb stuck against Lowe's nose, which elicited a bit of laughter from The Great Unwashed.
0: So (laughs) the giant and the midget would fight and Stanley would just kind of be there.
1: He he was the middle, he was the straight man in the middle. But the the odd thing I found was that uh, the giant fancied himself an intellectual and thought I was one too. I was doing stand-up comedy, but but he thought I was an intellectual and he would try to discuss Schopenhauer, with me. I I tried to carry on as best I could, but I had nothing to say about Schopenhauer. Now, years later, I had occasion to work with yet another giant. Now, how many people do you know, (laughs) Gilbert, that have worked with one giant? I mean, so I was in a, I replaced Anthony Newley in a Broadway show called The Roar of the Grease Make the Smaller the Crowd. Newley had the conceit of casting a giant in the show. And (laughs) the giant befriended me, and he, he was an intellectual, too, and tried to discuss Nietzsche with me. (laughs) Now, I got a call from the stage manager one day. Uh, We had quite a run in the show, and he said, the giant is leaving, and so we want you to come in and read with a new giant. I said, a new giant? (laughs) You're going to have to close the show? How are you going to... He said, please come in. I I was at the Schubert Theater. I arrived on Schubert Alley to my absolute astonishment. There were 17 or 18 giants all waiting to audition. Who knew? (laughs) And and so anyway, the new giant uh, uh, did not turn out to be an intellectual. And the show ran a while longer but why would this giant have left they said he wanted to go back with the circus he wanted to go again on the road with the Ringling Brothers circus and sit in the sideshow and be stared at who would have done that when he had a pretty good part in a Broadway show but the wanderlust got him Gilbert and he wanted to go back on the road with the circus that's my giant story and it's better than the monkeys jerking off story (laughs)
2: Gilbert's a sucker for for dwarf uh, any dwarf story Orson or any monkey story.
1: Yeah, well, there's plenty of dwarf stories, but you won't find many giant stories. No, outside and, the and, Bible.
0: And now, now we need a a joke from
1: Orson Bean. Uh, an old guy goes for a checkup. The doctor says, uh, "Mr. Mendelssohn, we'll need a sample of your urine, your feces, and your sperm." He says, "Take my shorts." <laughs> Or the man in charge of the cemetery says, lady, your husband is not buried here. There's only one Feldman, and it can't be your husband. The name is Rose Feldman. She says, that's him. Everything is in my name.
2: Another great one. Orson, let's go way back, because I heard you say, you watch a lot of uh, interviews with you doing research. You, you were a class clown. As You're not going to go
1: back that far,
2: are you? I'm going back. <laughs> All right. But before you did comedy, you, you had, a, you had a, a, a
1: hypnotism act? Well, I broke into the business uh, doing a magic act. Magic act. And I went to, to see a hypnotist once, and he didn't know I was in show business. And when he called for volunteers, I said, I would like to know what it's like to be hypnotized. So I put my hand up, and he called me up with several other people. Now, I... I wasn't hypnotized. He said, your, your eyes are growing heavier. My eyes were not growing heavier. He says, you're growing sleepier. I was not growing sleepier, but I didn't want to fuck up the guy's act, so I feigned heavy eyes, and I feigned sleep, and I feigned going under, and he had me hop around and, and, and make noises like a chicken, and the audience went nuts, and he said, now you're coming awake. You will, you will arise. You will be completely refreshed, and I feigned b- becoming completely refreshed, and I sat down, and everybody at the next table, this was in the nightclub, said, how did it feel? Was it really? What, what did it really? And I realized that probably the other people too had feigned going under because you became a celebrity for the evening. Now, suppose I had said to the person at the next table, no, I just did what he told me. I didn't want to. You're your schmuck. You fell down. You made a jerk of yourself. You ruined your suit. But by pretending I had gone under, I was a celebrity. So I got the idea of getting people up and whispering to them, do what I tell you. It's all a gag, and they and they did. They they got their thumbs stuck <laughs> on their nose, and they, I said, pretend you can't get. Pretend you can't. And and the and the people went nuts. No one ever gave my secret away.
2: I like that. the story, too, of the club owner. Was it Rocky and Chippy, the the, 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 the mob guys, where one of them got offended and, <laughs> because you, weren't, you you revealed that you didn't have a real uh, this hypnotist was, act, that this, you weren't an actual
1: hypnotist? This was a club in Boston. Rocky Paladino and Irv Chipman, an Italian and a Jew, reputed, as the <laughs> Boston Globe said, to have underworld connections. So Rocky took a shine to me. Because I worked in his club, and he thought, wow, this kid can hypnotize anyone. So one day, a guy came up, and uh, it turns out he was a friend of Rocky's, and when I whispered to him, do what I tell you, he sneered. Rocky was not amused. I left Boston and moved to Philadelphia. Years later, I ran into him. After Philly, I went to New York and uh, got a big break and was all over the uh, the television, and he said, Beans, he used to call me Oscar Beans. Oscar, if it wasn't for me, you'd still be in Boston. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Now, what big gangsters did you know? I never knew mm. bigger than Rocky Paladino. Rocky Palladino was uh, called to testify in the Kefava hearings. The Kefava hearings was wow. was the biggest thing uh, that brought uh, television to life all over America. People had a little black and white set in their office. This is before many people had TV, and they watched uh, ST's Kefava, Senator, say, "Now, Mr. Paladino, on or about the fourteenth of September in uh, nineteen forty-six, did or not you encase the feet of an unfortunate man named julio gonzalez in concrete and (laughs) to drop him into the charles river senator i respectfully decline to answer on the grounds of my fifth amendment mr paladin and on like that so um, he came back and he was a big celebrity from having worked on tv (laughs) and monkeys do (laughs) jerk (laughs) off tell us about your
2: early act so you did you did magic you did card tricks you did the, the eucalyptus tree that you made out of out of newspaper. Do I have that right?
1: Little magic trick kept me out of the big money for many years. <laughs> <laughs> and then you
2: started writing your own act. You started writing. You started writing jokes. You started writing comedy. What was the what was the what was your big
1: opening line? The, the Harvard joke. I I had a crew cut and a three button suit. I was twenty years old. I said, "Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Orson Bean. Harvard forty eight. Yale nothing." <laughs> The silence was profound. As <laughs> just happened.
2: It took me a while to get that joke when i when I did the research
0: and and your friend yo, you were friends with the with the crazy um buddy Hackett.
1: Buddy Hacker would always tell you a joke. He wouldn't say hello. Last time I ran into Buddy, he says, a a seer, I says, a what? A seer, a soothsayer. I said, uh, his car breaks down. He says to the farmer, can you put me up? He says, certainly. In the morning, the soothsayer says, uh, I can speak to the animals. The farmer says, that's not necessary. He says, while I'm making your breakfast, he says, "Uh, if you want, you can go speak to the animals. The the seer comes back. He says, "The, uh, the cows tell me that you've changed the rhythm on the... The milking machines it hurts their others the farmer says that's astonishing I, he says the horses tell me you've tightened a bit and it hurts he says, my god yes i he says the sheep tell me the farmer says those liars don't listen to a word they say <laughs> this is like an audience at the moose club in Altuna.
2: <laughs> oh yeah you, the moose club was a place you used to play right yes yeah,
1: uh, yes don't remind uh, me
2: Tell us about the Latin Quarter and the Blue Angel and the Vanguard and, and, and some of those places.
1: I worked with uh, Shoshana Damari, the Israeli nightingale, and the audience that she drew, international jewelry, was not amused by me with my crew cut in Harvard 48, or you know, nothing. I did not get many laughs, but I did get... To have my way with Shoshana Damari. Shoshana Damari looked like the concubine of Cyrus the Persian. She was direct from Israel and she smelled of uh, incense when she walked in the room. And she was dark with dark ringlets on her hair and thrillingly beautiful in a, in a Middle East kind of way. And shortly before the, our engagement was over, which was six weeks, and before she returned to Israel, she accompanied me home and at the anti-penultimate moment, she threw her arms in the air and said, fuck Shoshana." <laughs> it was quite a thrilling moment until I discovered after she left that she had fucked the band, the, the bartender, and the hatchet girl. She's dead now, so it's okay to tell the story. It's okay. Bye. It's okay.
0: Now now uh my my wife was arranging this interview with you and she said and uh that you said to her uh,
1: about me I I love him more than you do I do <laughs> Gilbert when when your wife and my wife die I'm coming for you and it's California <laughs> so we can do it <laughs> <laughs> Oh And can you tell us who your wife is? My wife is Allie Mills. For the past ten years, she's been on a soap opera called The Bold and the Beautiful. She was brought on to play the, the daughter of uh, Betty White, and there was a dying scene, and Betty White died in my wife's eyes, arms, and for the first time in the 25 years the show had been on, it won a Daytime Emmy, so they kept Allie on, even though Betty White's character was dead, and she's been on it for 10 years, but she's perhaps even better known for playing Norma Arnold, the mother on The Wonder Years. Sure,
0: and Allie is there with you.
1: See, we should be
0: talking to her, not you. (laughs) Absolutely. Did you used to do a bit about Hitler?
2: Being hired as a nightclub singer? I know Gilbert would appreciate this.
1: No, I didn't. There was various jokes. There was a guy named Abby Greshler, who was an agent. Who oh, booked, sure. Yeah, and Abby booked the Palace Theater. And a and the manager calls him up and says, Abby, have I got an act for you? This is the best. He says, what, who, what's the act? He says, just trust me. He's going to fill the place. What's his name? He says, the boy is going to. He says, what's the guy's name? He says, Hitler. He says, Hitler. He says, all right, he made a mistake. <laughs> Unbelievable. Now, you worked with both. You worked with Boris Karloff. I did.
2: Yeah. What and arsenic and Old Lace.
1: Had, yeah, it was the first color cast, the first live color cast in the country. NBC laid a coaxial cable. This is before the days of satellites or anything, and uh, they laid a coaxial cable across the country, and uh, they were able to have color TV live. For there was no tape in those days, anyway. And uh, so to celebrate it, they put on what they called a special, uh, a, a production of Arsenic and Old Lace, which had been a Broadway hip musical, not musical, a straight play. And I was on. I played the uh, the brother of Boris Karloff when they made the movie. It was Cary Grant, of all right, things. Right, you played Mortimer. I played Mortimer, and and so I worked with Boris Karloff and Peter Lorre and the two old ladies who were characters in this show, Ars Technologiae, were Helen Hayes and Billy Burke. Everyone knows Helen Hayes is the first lady of the American theater, but Billy Burke was the the uh, the good fairy. In the Wizard oh, yeah. of Oz, oh, she yes. was Glinda yes. the Good Witch. Glinda the Good Witch, yeah. come and, out, come out wherever you are. I think she, she was married to Flo Ziegfeld. She was indeed. He yeah. picked her out of the chorus, and she what called, an amazing cast! Yes, and she called uh, all the Munchkins out. Every fucking midget in the country was in the Wizard of Oz, and then they uh, they went back to appearing in carnivals, and their and their billing was always stars of the Wizard of Oz. A fucking midget. <laughs> I worked with an act named Hermione's Midgets. I'm trying to break into the business doing stand-up, and the act that preceded me was a foul-smelling old English drunk named Hermione, and he had three dwarves with him, but the name of the act was Hermione's Midgets. They did a knockabout comedy act that elicited few laughs from the audience, but the worst thing was when the act was through, they ran through the house trying to sell miniature Bibles to everyone for a quarter, and the people said, get this. Off of me. I don't want the fucking miniature Bible. And then the guy says, Now the comedy star of our show. And I came out to an audience that was in distress. <laughs> Now, can you tell us a little about Karloff and Laurie? Oh, Karloff was an angel. He was a gentleman. It was a long, hot uh, rehearsal in <laughs> hot studios in, a, in an old film studio in the Bronx. And, and Laurie was miserable. Oh, we're never going to get a break. It's hot in here. And Boris would say, relax, Peter. It's all in a day's work. And he was the sweetest man in the world. They, there are the, these big uh, 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 camera things that are weighted so that the camera can go way up in the air, and there's a weight on the other side, and they're called the monster. And the guys would yell, Get that monster over here, and call off and say, I beg your pardon. <laughs> it's not a joke, yeah. it's, a, it's an anecdote. It's, it's, a, it's a sooth to be saved. You've heard the term soothsayer? Well, I just say the sooth. You, you, you
2: were a kid when you did that show, Arson. Yeah, must it was have ridiculous. Been, he you... was
1: 65 and I was 27 or something. I don't know. Yeah, he was my brother. Yeah. Was Edward Everett Horton in that show, too? He was. In the, oh, I had seen Everett Horton when I was a kid. He toured in a show in Somerstock called uh, Springtime for Henry, a very sweet gentleman. I, I used to know the names of all—I went to the movies as a kid. I knew the names of all the supporting players, everybody knew who who Cary Grant was. I knew the names of Edward Everett Horton and people like that. I knew the name of all the sure. Stooges in the W.C. Fields movies. You know, uh, Grady yeah, uh, Sutton was the half-wet uh, uh, son-in-law. Right. And uh, who was the who was the bank examiner? Remember that famous? Uh,
2: oh, gosh. The, uh, I'm thinking of Edgar Kennedy, the master of the no, slow No, that burn, was the guy he... with
1: the sneeze, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this was uh, whoever it was I ran into. Him. I said, oh, I love I always loved you in the W.C. Hills movies. He tried to fuck me. Did you ever work with the Stooges? I never worked with the Stooges, but I adored the Stooges. I adored the Stooges in all their various incarnations. When the original Curly Joe died, he was replaced by briefly by a, a guy named Joe Besser, who was what they called a nance comic, the most famous. Well,
0: no, no, the original was Curly. Curly, Curly but, Joe uh, was
1: the last. Oh, 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 then all right, Curly, and and then Curly Joe was Joe, who was the last one. Yeah, they, his name yeah. was Joe, it, Joe Dorita. But they were really Shen. brothers, the original three. They were really brothers. Shemp Howard, Mo yeah. Howard, and Curly Howard were brothers. Oh yeah. Okay. Nope. That's it. This that has been an educational
0: program. <laughs> what were you
2: saying about about, uh, about Joe Besser being a Nance comic?
1: Yeah, a Nance comic was a term for a sissy comic. And there was a lot of them. Back in the politically incorrect days or politically correct days when you could make fun of sissies. And uh, Joe Penner, who said, I want to buy a duck. Oh, yeah, that was Joe was his Penner. punchline. Joe Penner was the most famous Nance comic uh, that I can remember. And Joe Besser was, you nasty man. He would wave now uh, uh, Milton Berle used to sing a song he married he wanted a girl she wanted a boy and they 're both satisfied with their baby. You could do jokes like that, not anymore you 'll probably and, cut that out of this podcast won 't you
0: and and back <laughs> not then, necessarily or yeah back <laughs> then they I remember growing up and, and and there were these people like Paul Lynn and charles nelson riley yes and you didn't think of them as gay. Sure. You thought of them as eccentric. Rip Ex-
1: eccentric, yes. Paul yeah. Lind was in the center box of, uh, of Hollywood Squares, and he would do the most outrageous things, like Paul, uh, Paul Lind to block. Uh, what is a pullet? And Paul says, a little show of affection. LAUGHTER <laughs> And then he would culture it by saying it's an old chicken or something, you know, so they could play the game. He, uh, Paul Lind, uh, uh, my wife did uh, Touched by an Angel in, uh, in Salt Lake City, which is where they shot it from. And the guy who picked her up at the plane said that the week before he had picked up Paul Lind. And Paul had said, all right, before we go to the studio, take me to where the gay bars are. I'm sure there's gay bars in Salt Lake City. And the driver knew where they were and took them there. And Paul dropped <laughs> in and had a drink or two. But they had the most brilliant conceit in the Broadway show and subsequently the movie of Bye Bye Birdie of casting Paul Lind as the all-American father. And he sang that great song, a hymn to Ed Sullivan. He said, i got a beautiful wife, three swell kids, and now Ed Sullivan's coming to my house. Ed, I love you. And the music would swell, Ed Sullivan. <laughs>
2: as long as you brought up Ed Sullivan, you, you, uh, you had a relationship with him. I mean, you, you were on the show a lot of times, and, and uh, we were going to get to this, but when you were blacklisted... In the 50s. I mean, Ed Sullivan was was somebody who actually came to your aid.
1: He did. A lot of people make fun of Ed Sullivan, but he was a great guy. He he said, I'll help you when I can. You know, I wasn't a communist, but I was horny for a communist girl and went to some meetings as a result. And I ran for... uh, office and got elected to first vice president of AFTRA, and and we ran on an anti-blacklist slate. So the blacklisted blacklisters, the Red Channels people, were furious, and they blacklisted me, and Ed himself called and said, the booking Sunday night is out. I don't know when I'll be able to use you again, but I'll help you if I can. And I stopped. I went overnight. For, I, I stopped from being the hot young comic at CBS and was incidentally replaced by my Long time nemes- nemesis, Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Was there a pilot? Was there an Orson Bean pilot <laughs> that, that was, was canceled? Indeed, but
1: it never was aired because I yeah. was blacklisted. Luckily, God looked after me before I even believed in him, and I got a Broadway show that ran for a year. The, the Broadway n- was never affected by the blacklist because the mm-hmm. blacklisters got to sponsors. There were no sponsors on Broadway. The tickets were bought directly by the people. But on TV, people buy Jell-O, and the sponsor sells... Uh, uh, the, the maker of Jell-O hires... The, the the Show and the actors, so the blacklist worked through the sponsors of campbell 's Soup and things like that, anyway, a year to the day Sullivan remembered and called me up he said i think I think the the stuff is past enough, and I can book you again and he did he didn 't forget. Back in those days, we were told I did a show for 26 weeks before I was blacklisted, called the Blue Angel Show, based on a club I was in, and we had uh, entertainers on. And when Pearl Bailey was on, she was African American. In those days, it was called black, and uh, we were told, "Don't touch her. If if your shoulder even touches a black person's shoulder, and you're white, we will lose stations in the in the South." So I did as I was told, feeling terrible, but that was that. When Pearl Bailey went on the Ed Sullivan Show, he threw his arm around and said, How you doing, Pearlie?" All over the South, stations went away, and P- and the switchboards of the local affiliates lit up. What happened to the Ed Sullivan Show? Well, he touched the Negro. Well, I know, but it's the Ed Sullivan Show. That was the end of that nonsense. It was the hottest wow. thing on TV, and he had the clout, and he used it.
0: And did you have close friends affected by the blacklist?
1: Yeah, I knew a lot of
0: commies.
1: (laughs) No, I didn't have a lot of them, but, you know, I saw, it was a weird experience. I saw, I saw actors cross the street to avoid having to say hello to me. The doorman at CBS turned away when I passed him. That's how, that's how rough it was in those days.
2: Wow. And the, the play you were in wasn't just any play. We mentioned it in the intro. It was with Success Spoil, Rock Hunter with uh, Jane Mansfield.
1: Yeah, Jane Mansfield and Walter Matthau. Walter, Walter Matthau. Matthau. Yeah, he had been in about 30 shows, all of which had closed in a week. He suddenly got <laughs> in a show that was a hit and he wasn't used to it. It made him nervous. And he was also pissed off that Jane Mansfield got all the publicity. Jane was on the cover of Life magazine twice in one year. That never happened before from that show. It made us a hit, but it annoyed Walter. He said, the bitch upstaged me again last night. I said, Walter, she's an amateur. She does it by mistake. Yeah? How come she never once by mistake downstages me?
2: <laughs>
1: I love Jane, though. She was great. And you know Walter a long time. Oh, yeah. Walter and I became friends and went on for a long time after that. But I never saw Jane after the run. But I was Mm -hmm. the only one that liked her because the others were all jealous of her. I didn't give a shit. Orsi, she called me, Orsi, come in here. I would walk into her dressing room. She was naked as a grape. (laughs) She was a a farm girl from Texas, had no inhibitions. I never knew where to look. She would say, look out front for the crack in the curtain. Tell me if anybody famous is in the house. If there was a celebrity in the audience, she always gave a better performance. One night Marlon Brando came to see the show. I knew him slightly. I had met this star and that. There are no strangers in the aristocracy of success.
2: Oh that story's in your book, Brand- Brando coming to see the show. Yes. But he wanted to see he wanted, he to, see he a wanted to see the see Mansfield. He wanted to meet an actor. Yes. Didn't he, want to, didn't he want to meet somebody else?
1: Yes. You, <laughs> you've done your research, haven't you? You lead me into these anecdotes quite skillfully. I do
2: what I can, Orson. Yes,
1: Frank. Whether I want to tell it or not, I have to now. <laughs> you don't have I to said, tell it. I said to Marlon, I did know him slightly, you want to meet Jane? He says, no, I want to meet that guy, Harry Clark. Harry Clark was a um, an old uh, comic from from musical reviews, and he had a scene in the show where uh, he pretended he was going to get an Oscar, and he grabbed a, a water cooler from the desk and stood up with his prepared speech. He was based on, on Harry Cohn, the, the great uh, Hollywood producer. And with tears rolling down his cheeks, he said, I came to this country, an immigrant boy. The audience laughed, and Marlon Brando wanted to meet him. So I took him up three flights of stairs. I'm shortening the story as much as I can. Not as much as I'd like to. And... Uh, <laughs> So uh, he came out and I said, Harry, I want you to meet my friend Marlon Brando. Oh, a great friend. And Brando said, uh, Brando was an aficionado of, of, the, uh, of the school of acting uh, where you, if, you had to feel it. If, if you wanted to cry, you thought of the time your dog got run over, something like that. So he said to Harry Clark, that scene where you cried was genuinely moving. Would you mind telling me what did you use? Meaning, had his dog died or something. Harry said, what do you mean, Marlon, what did I use? He says, to cry. He says, oh, this is, this is good, you can use it, the lights off, Stage right are very bright, so I don't blink. It really makes your eyes water. Poor <laughs> Marlon went back to his he was not a method teacher. actor. Another method actor.
2: And you did another musical on Broadway. I found this fascinating with with uh, Godfrey Cambridge.
1: Yeah, Godfrey was the only black member in the uh, in the show. And when we toured out of town in uh, in uh, i don 't know where the hell it was some southern state he couldn 't stay at our hotel. he had to stay in the cheap hotel over by the bus station well wow. i mean the, it was it was rough in those days. I remember when i when I broke into the business, I worked in in uh, washington d c at the Cairo hotel, doing my stand up and uh, in those days, if you went to the movies, the black people sat upstairs in in in, in the balcony. Yes.
2: When you when you tell that story about not touching uh, Pearl Bailey, it reminded yeah. me of the, the famous incident on television to the, the Petula Clark special with Petula Clark and Belafonte. You remember well, that?
1: Yeah. Yes. No, no. That was a big deal. No.
2: Yeah.
1: What, what was that? Uh, now I'm prepared to listen the, to your story. They hugged each they other. They hugged
2: each other. And, uh, on, on yeah. a, on, it was a big scandal. Yeah. It was a big problem for the network.
1: Well, a lot of women wanted to hug Harry off camera. <laughs> I uh, I was in a show uh, called John Murray Anderson's Almanac, uh, which is a musical review, the last of the big tits and feathers musical reviews, showgirls with feathers in their hair and boobs. And uh, Harry was in it, called a Negro singer in those days. He was gorgeous, of course, and all the showgirls would fight to get at Harry. He, he was having his way with, as far as I knew, most of them. I remember one time, two of them actually got into a, a hair-pulling fight outside his dressing room harry had the good sense not to open the door
2: nice to be harry belafonte in those oh. days huh gil
0: yeah and and there was i think there was a big controversy that famous scene Con- where say uh, it again
1: controversy controversy. Yeah. controversy gilbert come say control <laughs> and then versus, controversy controversy <laughs> what did you say Whatever it but, was, it wasn't in the English language. That's right. He coins his own phrases. Yes. When,
0: when um, you know, uh, Bojangles.
1: Oh,
2: well, uh, Bill Robinson. Yeah, yeah, he
0: was with that famous scene where he's dancing, holding hands
1: with Shirley Temple. Yeah, but that was okay because Bojangles was an old... Uh, an older black man and that was considered safe but they were getting complaints they got a lot of complaints that man. he was
0: holding a white girl's hand
1: really? well that was from foolish people i mean a normal person would only complain if he held on to the hand of a of a young woman that would be normal i i i'm giving you more stuff to cut frank
2: yes <laughs> 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 that's okay
0: we do it, as 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 we, we winnow it, it
2: down to the best hour, Orson. Yeah, thank you. Gilbert would find this fascinating. Okay. You used to go to, the, you watch Gleason work. You used to go to tapings of the Honeymooners.
1: Oh, yes, I was a great friend of Art Carney and Audrey Meadows. I loved Audrey Meadows. She would uh, come in knowing all of Gleason's lines because Gleason had not bothered to learn them. He was such a star, and I say this with all respect. He was a great man and the, one of the last of the great large comedians. I don't mean his girth. I mean the fact that he would go for huge laughs. Mm-hmm. And uh, But she had to know all of his lines and if he forgot she would feed him and to this day if you watch the honeymooners you can say next i suppose you're going to tell me ralph you invited the boss for dinner or now i now i imagine you're going to say and you're, yeah, listen, yeah and
0: one of gleason's famous moves on the honeymooners was he would start patting his belly yeah and that was a way to tell Audrey Meadows that he didn't remember his next line. Oh, really? He that.
1: seemed to start slapping his belly. Uh, well, she was prepared. And Art, too. I loved Art Carney. I would hang out with Art in the street. I mean, his his role on this honeymoon was uh, the guy who was uh, a sanitary engineer. He, was, he worked in the sewers. And then when I would walk down the street without Carney fans would go by and say, Hey, Artie, how's things in the sewer? <laughs> and he would always <laughs> smile generously. A wonderful guy. I loved her. I loved Gleason. Gleason let me come and hang out uh, when he was doing his big one-hour variety show at w- what was in those days called Studio 50. It w- it's now called the Ed Sullivan Theater and it's where David Letterman does his show for oh, more than sure. yeah. until he retired but uh, before the uh, before the show went on there would be a bunch of comics in his room and I would he would let me come in I was a young you know wasp I, I was a kid I had a crew cut and all these Jewish comics would say what are you letting this kid come in here for take an Ann Variety tired of Jew comics try Orson Bean <laughs> 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 but um
0: I I remember you telling a story where you were talking to Anne Bancroft. Yeah. About uh, why she married
1: Mel Brooks. I was sitting with Mel. I knew Mel slightly. Uh, I, he, 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 and uh, and what's his name that played the straight man to the to the Carl Reiner. Carl Reiner was would sit on their porch out on Fire Island because he had a house on Fire Island. I had finally made up enough made enough money in New York that I rented a house for a month and I picked the part of Fire Island that Mel Brooks was in, in the hopes that I would get to meet him. And I would walk by his house every day, and one day he spotted me, and he says, Hey, kid, you're yeah, that kid, come up here. And they were doing a precursor of the two thousand year old man. This was called the second man. It was the same old Jew, but it wasn't the two thousand year old man. But this guy was the second in command to people like Moses. He says, yes, I was a stone cutter to Moses. He made fifteen commandments, dropped one after I worked so hard on that. He never said he suddenly it was ten commandments. <laughs> He was also a sailmaker to Blackbeard the pirate. He says he was a son of a bitch, kill people. He says I made a new sail, put it up. The son of a bitch climbs up in the rigging, puts his hook in my sail, <laughs> comes all the way down. A dirty bastard, kill people, wreck my sail. So the the, the second man did not work. So it ultimately evolved into the two thousand year old man. I'll keep telling these. You pick out the ones you like. Yeah, they're all good. <laughs> no, they're
0: great. <laughs> <laughs> and and and, uh, but you you asked Anne Bancroft why she married him. Yeah, Frank found the
1: anecdote. I have to tell it. Yeah, <laughs> I was invited to dinner. I was having dinner in a restaurant with uh, Anne Bancroft and uh, and uh, Mel Brooks, her her husband. And I had a couple of drinks, and I said, Annie, what is a gorgeous, gorgeous, classy? dame like you, married to this ridiculous little Jew. And she said, he makes me laugh. And sure enough, that was the power he had over her. Later in the evening, she dissolved in helpless laughter and almost slid under the table. Mel took one arm, I grabbed the other, and we pulled her back into the chair. You see, this is because women are power fuckers. Men are... Men are youth and beauty fuckers, and men and women are power fuckers. Your wife married you, Gilbert, because you have the power over her of making her laugh. Well, Annie Bancroft was attracted to the power that Mel Brooks had. Uh, Jackie Kennedy married the powerful Jack Kennedy, and when he died, she married the richest man in the world. His power was money. Women don't care what a man looks like. Thank God for you and me. (laughs) We will return to
0: Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this.
2: And now back to the show. I, I like the memory course joke, uh, Orson.
1: You tell that one?
0: Oh my God! I was just uh, about to ask that one. I that's have, a great. That's a oh great one. God. How the
1: hell do you find? The guy says, "says I took a memory, an old Jew. He says, I took a memory course. He says, it's good. He says, I remember everything like a memory, like a steel trap. He says, where could I take such a course? He says, it's from a doctor. He says, what's the name of the doctor? He says, believe me, I got a... He says, what's the name of the doctor? He says, he waits a second. He says, what do you call that flower? It's red. It's got a long stem with thorns. He says, a rose. Yeah. He says, rose. What's the name of the doctor? Give me the memory <laughs> of <love>
0: that one.
1: <laughs> you know
0: what 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 gets me about all your jokes? Yes. Is that you to me are like the ultimate Goyam. Yeah. And every <laughs> Every one of your jokes is so Rosenthal's talking to his son Moishe.
1: <laughs> I put I put ten jokes on uh, on uh, YouTube because yeah, we my, saw them. They're great. My my grandson said, Grandpa, nobody tells jokes anymore. People do shtick; they tell lines, but nobody does jokes. They're gone, and you have to preserve them pro- for posterity. So I put my jokes on, and I was written up in a conservative Jewish journal called Commentary by a guy named Norman pod horitz and he said orson bean is not a jew but he understands jewish humor better than most jews that's quite flattering Wow. Yes. not amusing but flattering
2: <laughs> orson there's so much stuff here on my cards i mean what what would you like to talk about you you, you were one of the founders of the sons of the desert which we were talking yes. about off mic let's talk you about Stan- donald trump that's not.
1: Did, did you know Stan Laurel? You must have. Stan Laurel, I had the great good fortune to become a friend of Stan Laurel's. Uh, I, I, I found out, I think from my old nemesis, uh, Dick Van Dyke, where he lived, <laughs> <laughs> and called him up, and, and he invited me up. He knew who I was. He knew who all the new young comics were. And I wanted to talk about how did you think up the gag where you and Ollie uh, have the car that falls apart. How did you think? I, no, he wanted to talk what was happening in comics. What's being done? What's funny? Who are the new young funny comics? He was very au courant. And and that that means in the present, uh, uh, Godfrey. And... uh, (laughs) Yeah, we had out.
2: Chuck, we had Chuck McCann on the show too, and it was the days when when Stan was living in the hotel in Santa Monica, and he would receive guests. Yes,
1: right? he he had a beautiful young wife who who doted on him and looked after him. Women are power fuckers, men are youth and beauty fuckers, and uh, I, I, it is said that because he never got to save any money, he didn't own any of his films, and when they were being shown all over TV in the early days, he never got a penny from it. But I'm told that this is true, and I don't know it for a fact, but I, I think it sounds logical, that uh, Frank Sinatra picked up very quietly all of his bills. Wow, I never knew that. i had heard that Frank... Did you know that, Gil? No! I don't know if it was true, but I heard it, and I've heard other people say that Frank was very... Frank had a mafia mentality, and the mafiosi were uh, some of the most interesting people I ever met and some of the most generous people I ever met. If you crossed them, they would put your feet in concrete and drop you in the Charles River, but if you didn't cross them, they would do wonderfully generous things for you. I always liked the mafia. I always uh, liked the Godfather. I always felt that he said, "You know, if, uh, I am not into the drugs because it's going to ruin things, so I don't want to get involved in that. But Godfather, we need your, you know, we need the politicians. <laughs> in your party. I could do twenty minutes of Godfather dialogue. <laughs> I, now, can, now, I can do Enzo the Baker. I am Enzo. Enzo the Baker. Baker. <laughs> you work with
2: Vito Scotti, by the way, who's in, that, who's in the Godfather in that opening scene.
1: Oh, I. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah. That was the song you, at the wedding.
2: You work with Vito Scotti in the Twilight Zone that Gilbert and I were talking about, Mr. Beavis. Wow.
1: With Is, Henry it, Jones yes. and
2: William Shallard. Now,
0: now, you work with Dustin Hoffman. I did.
1: <laughs> the Star that, Wagon. Yes, that was the first job Dusty ever got paid for. It was his first television appearance, and I was cast in the lead in a Maxwell Anderson play. And it was the first use of tape. Tape had just been invented, and the and the videotape mechanism uh, that was used to fill to uh, to tape this show on location all over Connecticut. The videotape filled an Atlas moving van. The same stuff that would, would fit in the palm of your hand today took up an Atlas moving van and Dusty and I have shot all over Connecticut and it was a play by Maxwell Anderson. And and Dustin Hoffman uh, later said to me, I, I fucked your <laughs> wife's sister with the red bush. <laughs> wow.
2: You almost buried the lead there. Right? Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you worked with a a bunch of people we've had on this show have worked Our with Phil Silvers <laughs> I worked with I, yeah, speaking yeah. of a bunch of people but we've had a bunch of people
1: who've all worked with Phil Silvers yes what was he like? He was a worrywart. He was a, he was a nervous wreck. I admired him vastly as a comedian, but he was a, a nervous r- wreck. And I worked on the show with a with a with a with a guy. Uh, it, it, it was uh, Sergeant Bilko was the name of the show. I think you're in the army now. I don't remember, but his character was Sergeant Bilko. And there was a little character named. It was, the actor's name was Maurice Gosfield. Oh, oh, sure. Yes. And what was, his, what was the name of the character? It was, it was, a, was it Doberman? Doberman. Yeah. And Doberman couldn't remember a line, and Doberman would trip and fall down. She says, There was a piece of paper there. I stripped over the paper. Get him the fuck out of here, somebody would say. <laughs> <laughs> he was a pain in the ass, Doberman. Not a nice person. Phil Silver was a nice person, ahead. but very nervous, a nervous wreck. But I, I adored him. I like was one of the most comics are unhappy. Are you unhappy, Gilbert? Oh, a lot of the time. Yeah, well, most ca- un- comics are unhappy most of the time, so you're ahead of the game. You, you have a good looking wife, and you have a podcast, and <laughs> so you're only unhappy <laughs> quite a lot of the time, not most of the time. <laughs> Phil Sivers was unhappy most of the time. <laughs>
2: you're the first guest that psychoanalyzed him, Orson. Uh, all right.
0: And you work with an actor, a character actor, who I've I've always liked,
1: and that's John MacGyver. Oh yeah, John MacGyver. John- and if
2: you play your cards right, Orson, he'll do some oh, John yeah. MacGyver for you. Uh, oh,
1: do you do you, uh, do you have John MacGyver stories? He's got an, an impression. Yeah. Oh, do do John MacGyver, because oh, no one alive will know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> it almost every week. All right, do it.
0: Everything in this company must be run according to order. We will have no slackers allowed in this business. I run this company like a ship, and I am the captain of the ship.
1: It's wonderful, Gilbert. It's, you've made my day. If, if all of the rest of the podcast had been sheer misery, that would have been worth it. John MacGyver impressions don't come around often. Well, you got to listen to this show,
2: Orson. Yes, they're they're in. Uh they're in big supply here. Yeah. Oh,
0: and Theodore
1: Bikel. Oh, you worked with Theodore Bikel in the same show with uh, with John yeah. MacGyver, in S- fact. San Francisco fracas. Yes, I knew. I know there was a guy who was the very first guy to imitate Ed Sullivan, and uh, uh, Will Jordan. Uh, Will Jordan. And, yeah, still around, by the way. Yeah, is he still around? He was. Yeah, he a few was, blocks from here. He was pissed off all of his life because everybody took the Ed Sullivan thing from him and and he ran into a guy one time that he had seen do Ed Sullivan on the Ed Sullivan show he says where did you get that he says there was a fat Jewish kid I saw he says I'm that fat Jewish kid <laughs> 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 But but Will Jordan did the best impression of, oh, yeah. of an actor called Albert Basserman. Albert Basserman and Maria Uspenskaya were <laughs> she's come up on the show. Oh yes. <laughs> Albert Basserman makes John MacGyver look famous. <laughs> but but Will Jordan did a triumphant Albert Basserman routine, and nobody ever knew it was good because nobody knew who Albert Basserman was.
2: (laughs) He does a great James Mason, too. Well,
1: James Mason, you could say whether it was good or not. Albert Basseman, you wouldn't be sure. That's true. And I remember he used to do Sabu. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Equally obscure. That's Sabu from the Thief of Baghdad. I want to be a sailor singing merrily on the flying carpet. He sang that. But Sabu became famous as Elephant Boy. Now, there's a scandal about him and an elephant, but this is a family podcast, and I don't want to go into (laughs) it. Not really. He, He was a boy. He was underage, and they shot the elephant, but... Shabu's family never recovered and went back to India. Oh, God. What
2: else you got, Gil? I got plenty of stuff left. Oh, Oh I was afraid of that.
1: Oh, Jack Klugman. Jack Klugman. I love Jack Klugman. What an angel. What a good guy, Jack! I worked with his wife a lot on uh, on that show. Uh, oh, Match Game. Match Game. Yeah, she yeah. was famous for being famous, and she incidentally happened to be married to Jack Cogman. Do you remember what her name was? Brett Summers. Brett Summers, not that famous. I couldn't remember it. John John MacGyver, I remembered. More famous than Albert Basserman. Yeah, yeah yes, that's true. <laughs>
0: yeah, she used to be on every game show. Yes, and everyone knew her, and
1: no one knew why. Because she was famous for being famous. That's That's all. That's what a lot of people, when people around the country saw me on my seven years on To Tell the Truth, they didn't know I was starring on Broadway. They didn't know this. They didn't know that. They thought, that's that guy. He's a panelist. So I was known as a panelist. And so was uh, Brett Summers. That's what we had in common. Tell us more about Klugman. I don't know a lot about Klugman, except I oh. loved him. The fir- I had seen The Death of a Salesman about eight or ten times and never liked it, never thought it was a good play. Everybody thought it was the great American play. I saw Jack Klugman play it, and for the first time, I got Willie Loman. I thought, this is a great play. I then wow. Once I had decided that it was a great play, my wife took me to see uh, on Broadway a revival of it with, what was his name? Uh, she had to think for a minute Brian Dennehy was her he was her old boyfriend now Brian Dennehy is how can I put this a large man (laughs) he could play Bluto in the movie now he was wonderful in the play but Ali wanted me to go back and say hello to him which I was happy to do and I praised him extravagantly I saw him looking at Ali and thinking to himself how did I ever let her go now she's married this this guy how could could I have let her go and what I thought as I looked at this large man that used to lay with my wife thank God he didn't roll over one night and Crusher, and not to deprive me of the stuff you can use of her.
2: <laughs> He's from my hometown. Uh, he, you can tell Brian your wife, Denny, uh, right. Brian Dennehy.
1: Well, you see, you Wh- have something in common with Frank. New York. What?
2: Williston Park, New York. Brian Dennehy's from my hometown.
1: Yeah, I heard that part, and I was telling Allie that we that you and she have something in common. Yeah, they both knew uh, Brian Dennehy. Uh, she, and in the, the biblical sense, the idea sense.
0: that Brian Dennehy. They don't
1: call do biblical references. <laughs> Even Old Testament they don't go for. <laughs> <laughs> he knew my wife. <laughs> Can we throw
2: some names at you? Oh, or Jesus, or some, just, some, just some random names and see where you go with yeah, it? Yeah, you've already done John MacGyver and got lucky. <laughs> yeah. You did an episode of The Millionaire with an actor named Douglas Dumbreal. Never heard oh, of him. Oh,
0: my God. Who yeah.
2: worked with the Marx Brothers. Yes. Oh, did Duck soup. Is he in duck soup? No, he's soup? not in duck soup. He's in the day at the races. Dave,
1: oh, you're thinking rare. of Louis Calhoun. Louis I love Lewis yes. Calhoun. He was when always played a banker. Yeah. Yes. I knew these people. I knew who played the communists, who played the bankers. Louis Calhoun was always a banker. Now, I sat for seven years next to uh, Kitty Carlisle, who, and in sure. those days with the Marx Brothers, they felt they had to have music. So Kitty Carlisle oh, and yeah. Alan Jones were the musical right. respite in Day at the Races and in uh, a, a Night at the Races. A Night at the and, Opera. A, a, a night, at the, uh, night at the Opera and Day at the Races, but they were they were in both those pictures, and that's my except that I got to know Groucho, and I love Groucho, and I have wonderful letters from Groucho. In the days before email, if you wrote to Groucho, he would answer you. He was an inveterate letter writer. And I have wonderful letters at home from Groucho. And And from John MacGyver, too. (laughs) (laughs) John MacGyver's writing to you. Yeah, he never wrote much. But not Albert Basserman. Uh, not Albert Basserman. Fuck uh, him. He wasn't German. What was <laughs> What
0: was it like to hang out with Groucho?
1: Oh, I love Groucho. I, uh, he was a sweet man. I got to know Groucho because Groucho uh, did a Gilbert and Sullivan thing, the Mikado, on TV. Oh, you sure? And was roundly criticized by the, uh, the critics. I told Groucho, I thought he was wonderful, so he loved me ever since. <laughs> I am the very modern lover, modern major general. Yeah. You know, because it was natural for him to do that because uh, he he did these things like uh, I'll have here and Margaret Dumont would come out. Sure. <laughs> Margaret Dumont was all, always the rich lady and he, he would say um, uh, she would say hold me closer, hold me closer if I hold you any closer you'll be in back of me. Uh, I must <laughs> have you for my wife although what my wife would do with you I can't imagine. Oh, Mr. Flywheel. <laughs> well, it was said that she never
2: got them. I don't know if that's true. That she she never understood their humor. She never understood Groucho's she humor. She was
1: just a wonderful prop and perfect mm-hmm. for it. Yes, I don't think she had much of a sense of humor herself. But she was just a walking prop and perfect for him. All, all of all of the women in W.C. Fields' movies and Laurel and Hardy movies were shrikes, shrews, hardens.
2: It's a good word. Yes. Shrike. I mean,
1: W.C. Fields' wife in every movie would say, oh, I rue the day I married you. My mother warned me, but would I listen? Oh, no. Yes, dear, yes, dear.
0: And now, Frank brought up uh, that... Uh, you were on the Jack
1: Parr show. Ah, uh, when he walked out. Yes, I was a regular on with Parr, and uh, I don't think Parr ever cared for me, but, you know, he, he, was a, he was a goy, too. He was a wasp, and he had me on. And I happened to be on the night that Jack Parr got all offended because they had censored his WC joke. WC were the initials for water closet, oh, which sure. in turn was a euphemism for toilet. How times have changed. Indeed. When that would be censored, and, and he was f- filled with outrage, and without telling the network or, or uh, Ed McMahon or any of the people on the show, he got up and left. Now, Ed McMahon uh, kind of was ready to take over and run the show. Or it was Hugh Downs in those days. Yeah. Hugh yeah. Downs, yeah. Hugh Downs was ready to take over, but I came out and badmouthed NBC. And that's why I never got to take over and, uh, and run the show, and that's why Johnny Carson did. Long, interesting. Long silence. Yes. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I was. You did- I was next in line. I was. I was the heir apparent to the show. I had. I had substitute hosted it over a hundred times, and they loved me. And I was ready to go, but a suit, as they were called, at NBC, was miffed at me and said, "That son of a bitch will never run this show." Uh, what interesting. That, that sounds like a line from a movie, doesn't it? That son of a bitch will never. I can't remember. what That's. It's from something, isn't it?
0: And you—it's it's
2: it's, a, it's, a, it's John Marley's character saying that that uh, he never gets that picture.
1: He never gets Jenny that Fontaine. Picture. Oh, never gets that, that picture. Son of a bitch will never. And that that is supposedly based on a on the real life yeah. thing that Sinatra didn't get um, from here to eternity because he was messing around with Kim Novak, who was the property of of. Cone, yeah, Ray, Harry Cone, yeah. Cone, And the line that he allegedly says, that Dago, son of a bitch, is fucking my eating pussy. <laughs> wow. Another thing for you to cut, Frank, We <laughs> get this show wow. down to 20 minutes.
2: Here's some other names for you, Orson, just uh, as Jesus. long as we're playing memory lane. Yes. Uh, Jim Backus, you yeah. worked
1: with? Yeah, Jim Backus. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Jim Backus was the the voice of uh, Mr. Magoo. Sure, but he was also a great friend of uh, of the guy that that. That uh, used to play. Uh, this is not a good story because I can't remember the name of the guy or the character he played. But it was that wonderful guy uh, uh, who who played uh, uh, Mar Frickert No, Mar Fricker. Oh, was, Jonathan Winters. Jonathan. No, John. Now we're back to Mar Fricker. I was with Jonathan Winters the night he made up Mar Fricker. The the oh, night. Tell the us ca- about that. That's cool. oh yeah. Johnny worked. Johnny and I were both young comics breaking into the business. I worked the Blue Angel, and Johnny worked the club around the corner called the Rubound Blower, And he did this character for me of Ma Freckert. And Lenny, the hired hand, comes in, and Ma is in a wheelchair. What are you doing in the house, Lenny? I came to see you, Ma. Oh, if I could get this chair over to the mantelpiece, I'd get I'd get my my, my dead husband's shotgun and blow you out of here. What are you doing don't 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 stick that thing! To- oh, don't! Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah! Uh. Okay, Ma, I'm gonna go back out the barn, tend that sick heifer, but I'll be back. She says we'll see that you are. <laughs> <laughs> That was disturbing. the original dirty Moff that he then cleaned up to do on Johnny right. Carson.
2: I always thought Aunt Blabby, Johnny Carson's Aunt oh, Blabby was sort Anne of Blabby a...
1: Aunt came oh, right. from Moff and so did the guy I'm trying to think of as uh, 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 La, La, somebody Laquette. His, his daughter became a famous actress. Uh, and Arquette. he, Arquette. he, he Arquette. Pete Arquette. Or what, uh, oh, oh, Cliff Arquette. Cliff Arquette. Now, what yeah. was his lady character? Ma, ma, that was an old character Oh, like,
2: Charlie. Oh, yeah. Charlie, Charlie Weaver is uh, the same actor. Charlie yeah. Weaver was
1: the name he used. Cliff Arquette and his daughter right. was somebody Arquette, quite a good actor. Roseanne. Roseanne, Roseanne Arquette, Arquette and, and David, and, and right. that he, they, he, and uh, he was doing something with uh, with with the guy that you asked me the question about years ago, Frank. Um, yeah. <laughs> It was the guy who was the voice of Mr. (laughs) McGill. Now I've forgotten. Oh, Jim Backus. Jim Backus says to him, look, it's your lunch break. I can't stand the food in the commissary. We're going off the commissary. So he he, he drove uh, uh, Cliff Arquette uh, as Charlie Weaver, but Charlie Weaver kept the old lady wig on in this convertible. And, and the, uh, Jim Bakker says, take the wig off. Come on, come on, Cliff. <laughs> the- no, he kept it on. They pull up at a red light, and Cliff starts talking as the old lady to the man in the next car, waiting at the red light. She says, lovely day, isn't it? The man says, yeah, yeah, yeah. what a beautiful day. Couldn't ask for a nicer day. And he win- she he wins the guy over. Says, yeah. And just as the light turned green, the old lady says to him, how'd you like to get your cock sucked? <laughs> and Jim Back is genius and pulls off, you know, thinking he'll be recognized. He'll be the one that they'll call the costume.
2: Well, you know, shows are intersecting here because Peter Marshall, we had Peter Marshall on the show last week. Did you? Orson, and he told us that Cliff would dress, would would do drag in shows and then go on Hollywood Boulevard and walk around in drag. Yeah, but not just for to,
1: fun, right? Not, not for, for fun. For, sexual, for fun. Not, yes. to, not yeah. to pick
2: up sailors. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well this was another example of it. Ergo Peter Marshall was probably right. Yeah. Marshall was you know, as you knew, was the host and uh, on uh, Hollywood Squares, and therefore got to know all of these funny people. Sure, he himself and he was, he was, was half not, of uh, Noonan and Marshall, and you worked with Tommy Noonan. Yeah, I did uh, on uh, my first uh, big musical. I was signed to play opposite Marilyn Monroe, and that was the movie she quit Twentieth Century Fox over. So I never got to play opposite her, but I did get to play opposite uh, Jane Mansfield and a number yeah. of other beauties in my day. I never, now, I, I never thought Noonan Marshall uh, that act was that good. So I was glad that Peter went on to another line of endeavor, host. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Now I heard Jonathan Winters, aside from being crazy on stage, mm. that he
1: was uh, more than a little crazy off stage. He got too. into the cooking Sherry, pretty good, and for a long time that fed <laughs> his craziness. But uh, <laughs> when when he uh, when he joined AA and stopped drinking, he was never quite as crazy, or quite as funny. But uh, God, he was a great guy, and I loved him. I loved him. I used to call him up about once a year in his dotage and, and say hi to him. And he always remembered who I was. Thank you. Yeah, very much.
2: We were big fans. Yeah. I lo- How about here's some more names? I'm going to just throw these out. Bob
1: Cummings. Bob Cummings. Yeah, I, I worked with Bob Cummings in in, in that movie. Uh, how to be uh, how to very, be very, very, popular. very popular, yes. And then I was offered a big uh, show, the lead in a TV show, and turned it down, and Bob Cummings took it. It was a, a show called The Living Doll. In which. Oh,
2: we were talking about that yeah. with Julie Newmar. Yeah,
1: why My would Living any- Oh, doll. that's right. Yes.
0: We, we had a whole thing about... Julie uh. Newmar
1: was a girl that men would say of her, I climbed her because she was there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like Everest. Yeah. Uh,
1: what about uh, Fred Allen? Oh, you I, I with Fred, Fred Allen. Allen. Fred Allen I became very close to and adored him. He was a great radio comedian, and he had a very dry sense of humor, and he would get away with saying stuff that, that the, the censors didn't know uh, was maybe sensible. He came back from Paris, and he said, French money is printed on the thinnest paper I've ever seen in public, which was a great way to do a toilet joke. <laughs> <laughs> Ahead of his time,
2: Fred Allen. Oh, yes.
1: This yeah. little now, town, heard- this town on the seacoast of New England was so dull that one day the tide went out and never came back. <laughs>
0: That's a good line. Now, I heard Fred Allen was a very
1: depressed guy. Yeah, well, all comics are, Gilbert. You know that. You yes. you claim not to be depressed, but we know better. Ask your yeah. wife. Huh?
0: <laughs> What do you got, Gil? What do you got, oh, Gil? Oh, let's see. I
1: already did my John MacGyver <laughs> annotation. <laughs>
0: This was fun. Can we, before we we
2: let you go, can we uh, can we impose upon you to uh, to do the I ate the baloney uh, routine?
1: Two Irishmen and a Hebrew once went out for recreation, <laughs> and they took enough provisions along to spend a week's vacation. But they got lost out in the woods. The nights grew dark and lonely, and at last all of their food ran out except a piece of baloney. Now, one of them said, as he picked up a knife, there's no use in us carving, for if we do, there won't be enough to keep us all from starving. So I suggest we go to bed, and tomorrow, said Maloney, whoever has the nicest dream wins the piece of baloney. The following morning when they awoke a quarter after seven One of them said, I had a dream, I died and went to heaven St. Peter met me at the gate, riding on a pony No, I don't think you can beat that dream, I win the baloney <laughs> The other one said, I had a dream too, and mine was a world beater I also <laughs> died and went to heaven, welcome <laughs> by St. Peter He rushed to me, held out his hand, he said, hello Mahoney no, I don't think you can beat that dream. I win the baloney. <laughs> the Hebrew said I'm dreaming too. It's a dream that couldn't be sweeter. i seen you both go up to heaven. Welcome by St. Peter. I waited and waited and waited around. And oh, yeah, I got so lonely. I didn't think you was coming back. So I got up and I ate the baloney. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, folks. It's all downhill from here. You'll never have a podcast like this again. It'll be about 13 minutes long. Are you still doing your one-man show? Can we plug it? No, it's over. It's done with. I'm too rich to work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's great. Put it on YouTube so people can see it. All right. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Gilbert. Go home to your wife. She loves you. Uh (laughs)
0: Orson, thank you for doing this and
1: taking the time.
0: Thank you, and 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 uh, and our love to Hallie too. <laughs> love back at you. Yeah,
1: Hallie says back at you. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's Hallie. Hallie, Hallie. Hallie,
1: Oh, is your name Hallie? <laughs> I never knew that. I thought you were Haley Mills. <laughs> Jesus, all these shit. My- <laughs> all right.
0: Okay. <laughs> Goodbye. So
1: Yes. I'm
0: Gilbert Gottfried. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre. And at, it's been uh, once again at Nutmeg Studios with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. And today on our show, we had the guy who's just done a little bit of everything. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, a thank you to Orson Bean. Thanks, Orson. Go to dinner.
1: Thank you. (laughs)